0: Go ahead. Let's see. Hey, which is the mouth, blow, scatter, edge. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your words gives light, gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. Turn to me and have mercy on me, as you always do to those who love your name. Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Redeem me from the oppression of men, that I may obey your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant. Teach me your decrees. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed.
1: Okay, good stuff there. Psalm 119. Okay, then we have, um, we'll go to this day in Christian history first. Today is the 14th of October. And I got it on 14th of September. I don't know how that happened. Okay, let's see here. 14 October. It says, can persecution succeed? By the 1530s, Antwerp was on its way to becoming the richest and busiest city in Europe. Because of its port on the Scheldt River, Antwerp was Europe's center for international trade and finance. The whole region, known as Flanders, was under Spanish control. It became so prosperous that Charles V, Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, received half of all his tax revenue from there. Charles V himself a native of Flanders reciprocated by excuse me by giving his native land many benefits except for religious freedom. To Charles national strength required religious unity. When the Reformation began in 1517, it soon reached Antwerp. Europe's most cosmopolitan city. From Germany came Lutherans and Anabaptists, the forerunners of the Mennonites. From Switzerland and France came followers of Calvin and Zwingli. William Tyndale fled England and came to Antwerp to translate the Bible into English. Many Augustinian monks began the principles of their fellow Augustinian Martin Luther, began preaching the principles. One of them, James Porpst, a friend of Luther from Wittenberg, became. Prior of the com- of the convent in Antwerp, and was outspoken preacher of justification by faith. Fellow Augustinians in Dordrecht, the Hague, Utrecht, and Ghent all became vocal supporters of the Reformation as early as 1520, and some of Luther's books were being translated into Dutch. Immediately, the Emperor and the Church mounted various mounted a vigorous counteroffensive, One Dominican friar said that he would like to fasten his teeth around Luther's throat and that he would proudly go to the Lord's Supper with Luther's blood dripping from his lips. A representative of the Pope arrived in 1520 and with the Emperor's blessing began burning books and preaching against heresy. Erasmus, the great intellectual living in Antwerp at the time, observed that the burning of books removed them only from the bookstores not from people's hearts in 1521 charles v at the pope's request specifically forbade the publishing or reading of the writings of luther he also ordered the secular courts to enforce that year's edict of the diet of worms of that year which condemned luther and his followers arrests began in 1522 And the first persons to be arrested were James Probst, the prior, and two close friends of Erasmus. Probst recanted, but then after escaping from prison, recanted his recantation. The following year, two Augustinian friars, Henry Vose and John Eck, were burned at the stake in Brussels, the first Protestant martyrs of Flanders. Erasmus observed that the martyrs made many Lutherans by their deaths. In spite of the opposition and the mounting number of martyrs, interest in the gospel swelled in Antwerp. Every allusion to church corruption in speeches or plays was wildly cheered. A visitor from Italy to Antwerp was told by a leading citizen that if the revolt of the Anabaptists in Germany spread to Antwerp, 20,000 men would rise up to join them. In 1527, the English ambassador reported that two-thirds of Antwerp's population kept Luther's opinions Alarmed by this spread of heresy in Antwerp, the government issued an edict on October 14, 1529 that began a reign of terror. Death was decreed not only for all heretics, but also for anyone who was not a theologian who discussed any article of faith or who failed to denounce the heretics he or she knew. You know, it sounds like the Roman Catholic Church, it sounds just like the uh, uh, Revelation where it's the one that persecutes the saints and, you know, the, the... what is it, the mother of harlots, and on and on. Anyway, i just coming to mind here is that yeah. there's no doubt who that's talking about, but we'll go on. Uh, let's see here. Uh, any article of faith or who failed to denounce the heretics he or she knew. The Spanish Inquisition had arrived in Flanders, and the persecution continued for many years. During the 16th century in present-day Belgium, 600 Protestant churches were destroyed, and untold thousands were martyred. This Holocaust of Protestants was successful. Today, less than one-third of a percent of Belgians are evangelical Christians. What a crying shame. Christians of every age have been persecuted and martyred, I should add in, by the Catholic Church. Although by its very definition, persecution is not pleasant, we should not be surprised when it happens to us. Our sufferings are nothing in comparison to the one who suffered for us. 1 Peter 4, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, because these trials will make you partners with Christ in his suffering, and afterward you will have the wonderful joy of sharing his glory when it is displayed to all the world. So, there you go with that. And let's see, we have a couple prayer requests. We have... Uh, Chuck Swords, we prayed for him last week. I said that he had a very high fever that had been going on for weeks. The doctors couldn't figure out what it was. And he said um, the fever broke two days after the prayers were made last week. So he's very appreciative of that. So there are obviously people out there that are praying on this list. And I know several. They'll email me and how's this person? How's that person? And so it's always appreciated when people do these things. Uh, Ryan's son, Seth, wants to be a girl. Now, he's in Canada. This is in British Columbia. The Canadian government, the mother agrees with it. He was asked his opinion, and of course, he's obviously not, and he vehemently opposed it in writing, which may actually come back to cause him trouble later. But for right now, the government, Canadian government will render a decision on the birth certificate. So he wants prayer for that, and we need to keep him in prayer for that because it doesn't matter... It does matter what the decision will be, but it doesn't matter in the end because these people will be coming after him because of his stand against these type of things. But, you know, this is the world that we're living in. Uh, Gwen McAllister lost both of her sons. They were both shot this past week in Oklahoma, 45 and 40, and uh, on the uh, 4th. And she also lost her caregiver who takes care of her. She's 74, I think he said, the, the brother and the caregiver has cancer. So she's going through the stress of losing her caregiver and both of her sons. So we want to keep these people in prayer as well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll start. Heavenly Father, we certainly lift up the people we mentioned here and anybody else that is struggling with anything that is going on in their lives. We would raise them up and ask that you would tend to them and be with them, make yourself known in a real way so that they can feel your presence in their lives. And Lord, there are all kinds of stresses that are facing each one of us in various ways. And you know these things. And so search us out. And even if we're too stubborn to bring it up to you, you already know. So help us to uh, not be that way, but to trust in you and to talk to you about the things of our hearts. And Lord, we certainly pray for this class as well, that things would be conducted properly and that uh, what is said will not be anything that is contrary to your word. And if anything is taught which you do not approve of, I would pray that you would bring that to us somehow so that we could have that doctrine corrected, but it would never be our intent, Lord, to misuse your word. We thank you for this precious word, how good it is to read it and to share in it and to study it and to see Christ in it. So we pray that that will be the case with this class today. We certainly pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) Okay, so uh, we are in Ephesians 5, and I think it's verse... 5, five fifteen? no, is that yeah, right? 19. 19, no, no, we did 19, maybe it is 19, wait a minute, okay. It's 18 there. Okay, um, I... The board there, yeah, well, hang on a minute, 15... Okay, let's read 18, Eighteen the,
0: says, Do not get drunk with water, and be filled with Spirit. That's
1: good. Let's see, I... Oh, there it is, okay, verse, I, see, I didn't circle this, and so, while well, you're just, you read, uh, just read Ephesians 5 something while you're doing that, I'm going to look online and see what I typed last week because I don't want to skip a verse. That wouldn't be good. So you go ahead and do that. So I'm going
0: to start at the top of the paragraph. Okay, that's fine. uh, 15. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. Not get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit if we're on 19, 19 says, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord.
1: Okay, good. And this says that we did 515 through 17 last week. Uh-huh. So, I you know, I always stop and I circle the verse that we're supposed to do next. And I did not do that for some reason. So, read 518 again. And then we'll get okay, into that 518,
0: right do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Okay. I say we did that.
1: But, um, okay. No, we didn't. We'll um, uh, it's, uh, and do not be drunk with wine, which is in dissipation. You have debauchery. This one has dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, it sounds like we might have done it, but it doesn't, I, it, it doesn't say. Not. What's that? We did not. We did not. Okay, so yeah. anyway. Um, I might have mentioned something about that. I don't know. Let's see here. Five eighteen. Let me. I'm completely disorganized right now.
0: With, with
1: yeah. That reminds me being drunk later, with wine. Later. That reminds me of the. Oh, uh, the we're just about to type. I am uh, in Acts two, where Peter stands up, and you know they're all having the tongues, and the people mm, start yeah. saying he's. They're filled with new wine. I think I'll type that two days from now. I I can't remember what I typed this morning. I think it was five six. I'm sorry, 2-6, but anyway, very soon we'll be doing that, so, uh, yeah, wine. Okay, verse 518, apologies about that, I just didn't circle my thing, and I do not want to skip a verse, so, this verse, unfortunately, has been taken to amazingly absurd extremes by some. For one, poor handling of the issue of drinking, to another, the doctrine of total abstinence from alcohol arises. Neither this verse, nor any verse in Scripture, can be used to justify this stamp. Let me get that over here. As a matter of fact, I probably mentioned it in the tithing verses, but whatever. Okay, Um, can be used to justify this stamp. Uh, The words begin with, and do not drink, be drunk with wine. Being drunk is something which has happened since the earliest times of man on earth. The Bible is full of stories about people drinking to excess. What was probably most on Paul's mind was the custom at that time of the... I, I did do this verse. I know I did, because we talked about the orgies held to Bacchus, the god of wine. Um, in festivals such as this one, I'm going to go ahead and finish the verse anyway, because we've voice. done it. Good yeah, good um, to to it. And others as well. One thing led to another, and it is noted that people would go from heavy drinking to running wildly in the streets and committing all kinds of sexual sins. This is why he writes, in which is dissipation. The words refer to be drunk, not with wine. It is evident that wine itself does not necessarily lead to dissipation. The Lord's first miracle was to make wine, and yes, it certainly had alcohol content. The consumption of alcohol is condoned by Paul in 1 Corinthians 11.22. Uh, as a matter of fact, let me read that to you. I brushed over that last week because we were really pressed for time. I had to finish, and that's why I didn't take time to uh, circle my next verse. But 1 Corinthians, what did I say? 11.22. Here's what he says there. 1 Corinthians 11. Um, I'm going to go back a little bit. And for an eating, this is the Lord's Supper, and for an eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? And the word he says there is to drink. Okay? He says, they're at the Lord's Supper and they get drunk. And the word is methwell. They are literally intoxicated. And he doesn't say you did wrong. What he says is go do that at home. So there you go. Uh, what? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So there you go. That's uh, that particular verse that he's talking about. And he can be speaking of nothing other than alcoholic beverage in that. Um, let's see here. So uh, Timothy is instructed to drink wine as a type of stomach medicine in 1 Timothy 5.23. These and countless other examples show that the drinking of alcohol is not forbidden in Scripture. Throughout the Bible, there is acceptable drinking and there is unacceptable drinking. For the people that heard this last week, you can sleep for the next two minutes. I'll be done in a second. Um, uh, People can have money, but they are not to be greedy with money. People are not to engage in illicit sex, but not all sex is illicit. Reason and a proper use of Scripture clearly shows that drinking is not forbidden in the Bible, but dissipation, which results from drinking, is. Uh, You know what? This comes to mind right now because this is the verses that we're going to be in this week. Deuteronomy 26, 12 through 19. That's the final time that tithing is mentioned in the books of Moses, okay? And I'm going to refer to Deuteronomy 14 in this sermon. Okay, and in Deuteronomy 14, here's what it says, starting in verse 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year. Before I go on, anybody that's listening to this, this is Old Testament. This is not the church, and we do not tithe in this church, or any church, if you're in the New Testament. Unless somebody wants to reinsert the law, which is inappropriate. But So I'm not condoning tithing here. I'm simply reading what the law says about the tithing. Verse 23, And you shall eat before the Lord your God, in the place where he chooses to make his name abide, the tithe of your grain, and your new wine, and your oil, of the firstborn of your herds and your flocks, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if the journey is too long for you, so that you are not able to carry the tithe, or if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you, when the Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it, meaning your tithe, for money and take the money in your hand and go to the place which the Lord your God chooses. And you shall spend that money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink. Wine in Hebrew is the word yayin. It means fermented wine. And then the word similar drink is shahar. Shachar means very strong alcoholic drink, such as Jack Daniel's or something like that. So there you go, right in the Old Testament tithing verses. And so people will say you can't drink, and from the same set of verses they will say you must tithe, but you can't drink. And when it's exactly the opposite of what the what the logic should be when you read those verses, and then you come into the New Testament or the New Covenant. Yes. Why
0: don't you read also Matthew eleven nineteen?
1: Matthew eleven verse nineteen, the doctor wants me to read. So that's what we're gonna do. Matthew eleven. And let's see here, verse 19. Give me a second here. It says, um, "Oh yeah, you know what? This is a great verse. I've got this in my my summary for people that uh, want to, you know, know about drinking or not drinking." For John neither came, I'm sorry, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and the word is drinking alcohol. Okay, and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a wine bibber a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, you cannot say, look at that guy's a cokehead unless he snorts coke. You're not going to say that guy's a drunkard unless he's drinking wine. It never says that Jesus got drunk, but it's very clear the context of what it says there. You're absolutely correct, doctor. And there are other verses like this as well, that that you have to infer what is stated there, but it's a good inference, okay? And he's making a point about that. John didn't do these things, and you say, well, look, he's, crazy. And then Jesus comes and he eats and drinks with the people, and they say he's a glutton and a wine-bebber. So, there you go. You can't please everybody. Well, you can't please everybody, and you also will never change somebody's mind that has their mind made up. I don't care how much evidence you give them right from Scripture, they will say, well, I think it's wrong. And I'm, well, that's fine. If you think it's wrong, then that's your thing. You do what you want to do, but do not impose your values into the Bible. You must take what the Bible says and Decide what you're going to do from there. So anyway, we'll go on with that. But that's absolutely a correct verse to read. And then it says, um, uh, see, I just rushed through this last week because we were getting done. So it's good that we're doing this again. Anyway, um, one is not to drink to the point of excess. Okay, Paul says, be not drunk with wine, but with the Holy Spirit. Okay, instead, they are to be filled with the Spirit. As has been seen elsewhere, the term to be filled is passive in the Greek. When Paul says be filled with the Spirit, it is passive. It's never active. Okay, so just as be drunk is in the first clause. A person drinks wine, and the wine makes that person drunk. A person, likewise, needs to do something in order to be filled with the Spirit. They need to yield themselves. The believer has all of the spirit he will ever receive the moment he calls on Christ. But the spirit can get more of that person. On the day of a person's marriage, they are now married, and they will never get more married. goes probably very happy about that. But, yeah, I'm never going to get more married to this guy than I am right now. Okay, but the spouse can get more of the other spouse as yielding takes place. So the same is true with the spirit. In order to be so filled, the Christian is to sing praises, pray, worship, fellowship, read the Bible, talk on the things of the Lord, and so on. In doing these things, the person is filled with the Spirit. Paul's heart is that believers would so yield themselves to the Spirit that they would become revelers in God's goodness at all times, not revelers in dissipation even for a moment. Although the meaning of the where am I now? I want to make sure I'm on the right thing. That's We're still in 519, is that correct? I had my paper, so yes. Okay, although the meaning of the second two words is not fully known, this seems to be a logical explanation of what Paul is referring to. Uh, from these type of songs, he says, making melody, making melody. Here is a verb which corresponds to the noun translated as Psalms above. What Paul is saying is that he is saying here, is that not only should we outwardly sing and share music, but we should do it in our hearts as well. We are not to let a root of bitterness creep into our hearts as we ponder the wicked world around us. Instead, we are to have the wonderful words of glorifying God in our hearts at all times, welling up in us so that we are not overcome by the world around us. This is what happened. We didn't finish this verse. We got halfway through it, and that's why. That's what happened, because I didn't get this part. I only read this part, and then we had to stop. So it was kind of rushed last week. Okay, so there we are. Um, what Paul is saying here is that not only should we outwardly sing and share music, but we should do it in our hearts as well. We are not to let a root of... Hang on a second. Yes. We are... No, no. What's that? Yes, yes. We are not to let a root of bitterness creep into our hearts as we ponder the wicked world around us, Instead, we are to have wonderful words of glorifying God in our hearts at all times, welling up in us so that we are not overcome by the world around us. Okay, I should stop right there and and talk about that. Um, I'll read it again so you know what I was saying. Paul is saying here that we should not only outwardly sing and share music, but we should do it in our hearts as well. We are not to let a root of bitterness creep into our hearts as we ponder this wicked world around us. Okay, This is something that I probably fail at 4,000 times a day. The world is getting increasingly wicked. It is getting to the point where it's almost maddening to see how things are degrading. It's not just in this nation. I mean, this nation is obviously a nation that uh, was established on the principles of Christianity. The Trinity decision of 1893, was it? Anyway, it might be 1893, said that this is a Christian nation. Okay. They went through all of the founding documents. They went, it was the longest, most researched judgment ever in the history of the Supreme Court of the United States. And they said, this is a Christian nation. And now if you even say that in a government office, they'll flip out and they'll want you expelled from government service or out of their office because you're a Christian. Okay. And there's wickedness everywhere but we are supposed to not let that get us down. We're supposed to instead sing to the Lord in our hearts, sing psalms, sing praises, and it's very hard to do when you see these things going on around us. But if you think it it through that what is going on in the world right now is a part of what God said was going to happen. We know that the world is going to devolve into chaos. We know that things are going to become terrible. And you can't expect things to keep going well and then suddenly get terrible. There has to be a degradation of the society. Just like in Genesis six, then the Lord saw that the world was filled with wickedness. It didn't just happen overnight. It was a process where people very slowly and eventually completely became wicked. So we need to be careful to try to live out Paul's words here. It's not an easy thing to do. It's a difficult thing to do, especially if you're immersed in it all day. You know, I am, because I have to do uh, research for the reports on Wednesday and on Sunday. It's very difficult to read, and I've said this a million times, and I'll say it again. I never exaggerate, by the way. Um, is that um, I see things every day that are so horrifying that I can't repeat them. And these are things that have been going on for years. And yes, the world in general is getting bad, and people are doing all kinds of perverted things in schools and all that kind of stuff. And we wouldn't have talked about those kind of things even a year ago or two years ago. And they're doing them now, and it's become it's become okay. But the things that I see are things that humans will do to one another. And there'll be articles in between the articles of the society going down. And these are things that, you know, this happened with Ted Bundy in Florida, what, 25, 30 years ago? It happened with, who's the guy that used a Dahmer? You would eat people these are the kind of things i see every single day because they're part of the human condition and there's always been losers like this in the world and i see these things and it is mentally taxing on me it it literally degrades my mind while i'm because i have to see these while i'm looking for other articles they're there i wish i didn't have to read any news or see any news at all ever but I have to do these reports. And Hedico knows I do this every single day. I'll start you know, researching. I usually go to my morning jobs and I do them and I'll come home and I'll finish up my, my uh, about eight news services that I go through in detail. And when I get done with them, I have to go lie on the couch and I have to just do nothing for about 15 minutes. I got to get all of that out of my head. And so this is the wicked world around us that we have to endure. And how do we rise up above it? You know, you have to decide. What are you going to do? Are you going to let the world drag you down? Or are you going to try your best to live for the Lord the way that his word says? And he's got psalms and hymns and speaking to each other and all of these type of things. These are things that we should be doing, okay? Instead, we are to have wonderful words of glorifying God in our hearts at all times, welling up in us so that we are not overcome by the world around us. Uh, one of my friends emailed me today, and he's been having some troubles, and I told him, you know, I'm going through exactly the same things you are. I, What your email could have been my email to you, okay? And I said, it's one of the things that he's, his struggle is, well, I'm not able to read the Bible the way I used to, and I said, well, I don't have that issue, and the reason why is because I do nothing until I've read the Bible. There's nothing I will do. I mean, the coffee is going, that's a little different, that's something, but uh, you know, I, I will do nothing workwise until I have read the Bible in the morning. That is my determination. And then fortunately, you know, I don't know what he does for a living. Maybe he's a plumber or maybe he's an electrician. I have no idea, okay? He's just somebody I know through email. And I have the blessing of being in a church. So I have to correspond with people all day about church matters. And I have to, you know, uh, type sermons. I shouldn't say I have to. I get to type sermons. You know, I get to do things. That keep me in the Word all day, so I don't have that problem that he does. But the one thing with reading the Bible is I force myself to do that every day before I do anything else. And then secondly, is that I say this week after week because I want to spur people on to do it as well. Is any time that my key goes into the ignition of my car and it turns the car on, the first thing I hear is the Bible talking back to me, and it goes all the time that I'm in that car. And I don't drive a lot. I drive. Every morning, I drive 1.6 miles down to the mall, and I clean the mall, and I drive 1.6 miles back to the house. And then twice a week, I drive to the church, which is, what, six miles maybe? So it's eight-minute drive two ways. Okay, so you got 16. That's 32 minutes total, I guess. We'll, we'll say that. And then once a week, I drive to the projects, and that's probably a 25-minute drive. Okay, we'll say 25. So that's 50 minutes. So that's all the driving I do unless I have to go buy something. I don't drive a lot. I drive very, very little. And yet I'm now on the third time with this audio Bible. I'm finishing Revelation probably tomorrow. And I've only had this audio Bible for a short time. And then I had my previous audio Bibles that I listened to. So my thing for you is that if you want to try to keep the things of the world out, is to get a Bible and just play it in your car. It'll bless you. And you're not always listening to it. I got to admit, I'm not listening to it all the time, but it is always going. It is always being fed into me. And I would recommend that to people in this wicked world, okay? Um Anyway, in this, okay, not being overcome by the world, in this we are to do it to the Lord. This then is truly being filled with the Spirit. As was noted in the previous verse, we are actively contemplating his goodness, and we are thus passively being filled with the Spirit. As we yield the Spirit fills. And it's not going to happen any other way. I don't care what church you go to, you are not going to be actively filled with the Spirit. The Bible does not say that ever, except in a descriptive passage, which is found in Acts chapter 2, and a couple other descriptive passages, which are found throughout Acts, where the Spirit actively came down upon people. But even those people were yielding to the Spirit to allow that to happen to them, okay? It is not going to happen any other way. The Spirit will fill you as you open yourself to be filled. Otherwise, you're being filled with something else. There's no static in life. Either you're going forward or you're going back. Okay. You're getting older or you're getting younger, which is a possible. So you're getting older. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing static in this world. And your relationship with the Lord is certainly never static. It is never static. Okay. There is a noted difference between the two. Oh, wait. Let me read this again. The same set of words is almost repeated in Colossians 3.16. So I'm going to take you there. Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Colossians. Give me one second here. Colossians 3.16 says, all right, where are we? 16, 14, 15 says, okay, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Okay, there is a noted difference between the two. In Colossians, it says that we are to use these things in order to teach and admonish one another. It is an active instruction based on these things. In this verse, it is more of a way of letting emotion be drawn out of us in order to edify others and glorify God. Everybody see the difference? Okay, life application. How can we overcome the world? especially when it is draining us of joy and taking away our ability to act in a godly manner, the answer is given in this verse. We can do so by speaking and singing words of Scripture or words based on what the Bible teaches. This is our fount of blessing, instruction, and joy as we wait on the return of the Lord. Okay, before we finish up our life application, we read the uh, This Day in Christian History, and these people were in Antwerp, and it was obviously Catholic. The guy wanted a united religion, and all of a sudden these other people start coming in. you got people that are returning to the faith of the Bible, okay? And the Catholic Church at that time was persecuting them. They wanted nothing to do with the doctrines of the Bible, okay? They were the ones that were martyring people. They were uh, burning people at the stake. They actually took John Wycliffe is mentioned in there, I believe it's him, that later, after he was uh, dead, they dug up his bones and had a trial. It might have been somebody else, but I think it was John Wycliffe, okay, declaring him a heretic. I mean, it's just crazy stuff that they did. But these people were looking not at their own lives and the temporary wicked world around them. They were returning to the fount of blessing. It says, this is our fount of blessing, instruction, and joy as we wait on the return of the Lord. You're not going to find it anywhere else. If you are not receiving your, your spiritual renourishment from the word of God, then you are getting it from the world. There's no other place that you're going to get it other than the word of God. I'm sorry, it will never happen. Okay, Now, if you're singing psalms and hymns to each other and they're based on the Bible, that's fine. That's what Paul is telling us to do. But it must be something that is based on Scripture. If it's not, you're just not going to get it anywhere else. This world will never give you what the Lord wants you to have. It will never give that to you. You must get it from something that is grounded in the Word. Okay, Let us use it often, drawing from it as if we are drawing out water from a well in a dry and thirsty land. Let us allow our souls to be filled with the beauty of the Word, even until it then flows back out of us for the edification of others. Okay? If you're filled up with the Word, and you're filled up with the Word, and eventually you're so full of the Word, it's got to go somewhere. And if you are wise enough to allow it to flow out of you, then it is going to go out and it's going to edify others. Okay, and it doesn't always have to be with your own mouse. It can be just simply you're filled with the word and you're walking in joy because you know that you're redeemed. You know that life is going to be better than this world. And people are just going to see that in your attitude and they're going to want to talk to you. What is it that you have? It might not happen the first day. It may be after three months. They just see every day and you're always happy. You're always trying to be positive to people. Eventually, they will want to know why you are the way that you are okay? doesn't come immediately sometimes. Like I say, I'm at 7-Eleven every day, and it may be uh, weeks before somebody finally comes up and says, man, you're always happy here. What's going on? And then you have a chance to tell them about the Lord. They're out there building a house, and they'll be there for the next three months, and they see you, and they just want to know. But, oh, talking about 7-Eleven, some guy came up to me this week, and he offered me a whole handful of money, he said, here, this, I said, no, 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 I'm being paid by Peggy, but happens a lot, I love it, I love when they do it, they see this poor guy out there picking up stuff out of the parking lot without shoes on, yeah, and they think, oh, this poor guy must be picking up coins or something to buy cigarettes, or I don't know what they're thinking, but I said, no, 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 I I appreciate it very much, and, of course, he still got embarrassed, and he wanted to hand it to me anyway, so, but, yeah, it's, it's always fun, it's always fun when something like that happens. Um, okay, so we are um, in 520 now, and I want to make sure that I have these. There's another
0: piece down there, too oh, okay.
1: Good. That's I knew there was something missing, and I want to make sure that I get these in order okay. It's, it's a
0: short verse, but I'll take it slow.
1: Yeah, take it really slow, and I'll get
0: always it giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Christ.
1: Okay, you took a long time to do that. That was I did very it. good. Okay, 520. <clears throat> All right, so we've got 140. I got a page five there, right here. Okay, so this is the front that I just this has happened only once before where the papers have really gone all over the place but they They, sure went all over in a
0: um, binder
1: well yeah you know but the problem is it's not that I need a binder because it would probably be better for me to do that it's just that I had this thing sitting up like this instead of flat I don't know what I was playing with it before church and I'll blame it on uh Kate I'm blaming it on Kate yeah Yeah, blame it on Cammie. Okay, so um, let's see here. 520, and I know the verse says almost exactly the same thing, so I'll read that and then, uh, wow, talk about being distracted. Okay, 520, uh, giving thanks always for all thanks to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So very close. Okay, 520. These words are logically tied to the preceding Verse, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we are making melody in our hearts to the Lord, we are to be giving thanks always. I I find this easier, actually. I don't know about you. I find it easier to give thanks always than I do to sing spiritual songs and be uplifting, okay? It's very easy for me to say, you know, I I just appreciate the the things the Lord has done. There's a beautiful flower coming up out of a crack in the sidewalk, and it's just so random. What what can you do but thank the Lord for that, you know? You see just a, a raccoon. I feed the birds out back in the mall every day, and once in a while a raccoon will come up, and he just stands there, and he looks at you, and I'm just like, I'm thankful to the Lord for that because it's just a blessing to have these creatures around you. And so it's very easy to give thanks, I think. Um, It's kind of harder to be uplifting, and sometimes, you know, you're down, you're tired, you're sick, whatever. Um, But even when you're sick, you can give thanks to the Lord for not being sicker, you know? I don't know. So um, somebody emailed me uh, yesterday. I said, I'm just send you a short reply, and then I got to go because I'm going to the doctors, okay? Okay. And I didn't explain, which probably wasn't nice of me. I just wanted to get out. And so I said that. And then she came back and she said um, something about my ear. This ear, I heard it about three months ago. And it, it hurts all the time. And so um, uh, I went back to her and said, no, no, it wasn't about my ear. I just went in to have an annual skin cancer check. And I don't have skin cancer, which is good. Because that last time it was horrifying getting that thing taken care of. But um, uh, I said, the ear will probably never be better. I think it's damaged permanently. And I said, I'm so glad because when I get to heaven, I'll have something to compare it to. Yeah. This is so much better. So, but you know, the thing about having a bad ear that really hurts is I get irritable all day long. And, you know, I just am. And How'd I have heard to, it? what? How'd you hurt it? I, I, it doesn't matter. I don't want to say because it was, I'll tell you in private. Okay. But I, I really hurt this ear and it hurts all the time. And so I, I just, uh, what's that? Yeah, I, I don't want to say it on the... On the, the, the
0: no confessions. You know. Yeah, no,
1: we're, we're screaming live and I don't want to, you know, anyway. Um, but yeah, if, if you have something like that, you can find something positive in it. And my positive is that even if it hurts the rest of my life, it won't hurt when I get my new body. So thank you, Jesus. But um, as we are making melody in our hearts to the Lord, we are to be giving thanks always, as Paul's words there. One of the greatest errors of humanity is ingratitude. I'm going to tell you what, if you read the Bible with that perspective, as you're going through the word, you will see that Israel, who is a template of us, by the way, is totally ungrateful to the Lord for everything that they had. They had every single blessing that they could possibly have been given. They had the Lord dwelling among them, tending to them, and they were the most ungrateful bunch of people on the planet. Like I said, I'm not picking on Israel. They're just a template of us. And it is, if it was me, if I was God, which I'm not, okay, but if it was me and I was giving my evaluation of humanity, it would be those ingrates. That would be the one thing that would really eat me up. There are things that uh, bother the Lord according to his word. And we know that, you know, when somebody is unjust, when they're unrighteous, when they're Uh, you know, ungracious, unmerciful, etc., because he's all of those things. He's merciful, he's gracious, he's so, he's just, he's holy, he's righteous, but being an ingrate to the goodness of the Lord is, I don't know, it's just the one thing that I think, Lord, I'm sorry, I'm so ungrateful to you for the things you've given me, and I want to have that attitude in me always, because I don't want to be ungracious, and I want to acknowledge that I am ungracious.
0: Gratitude Uh, is the grease of life. It's the grease of life. I like that. People that are not happy, typically, they're not not grateful grateful. for anything.
1: Yeah, well, that sounds about right. It's, It's just one of those things. One of the greatest errors of humanity is ingratitude. When we fail to give thanks for each and every kind blessing bestowed upon us, we fall into error. This is then reflected in a degradation of our relationship with God. Eventually, our hearts become darkened to the things of God. That's in Romans 1 20. Let me just read it to you so you see that. And like I say, I have to believe that this stems from being ungrateful. Um, And it says it explicitly right here. We'll go to verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Ingratitude. God did all of these things for these people. They know it, they know it deep down inside of them, and yet they are ungrateful. Uh, Let's see here. It is so easy to ask for blessings, but we then fall fail in being grateful for those things that we receive. Instead of this, we need to continuously be thankful for what we have and pour out our hearts concerning those things we lack. Yes, it's okay to ask for things. It's the Bible never says to not do it. And in fact, it says the opposite. We are to pour out our hearts to the Lord. This is what we need. These are the things that are on my heart. I desire this for this person and so on. But when we get the things that we get, we should always be sure to be thankful. Uh, The one thing, I'm sure I've said this a million times because it's one of the things I enjoy so much is the rains in Florida, okay? Florida is sand, it's not clay soil. And so everything runs right through. You can have a ton of rain and two weeks later, it's as dry as a bone around here because the soil does not hold the water, and we're totally dependent on the rains in Florida because of that. You know, there are obviously places that are limestone, and you'll get some, uh, some retention of the water, but mostly in Florida, it's just sand, and everything runs right through, and I always, when I see the rain starting, the first thing I say is, thank you, Lord. I'm so thankful for the rain, because it saves us work, it keeps us going. It keeps everything happy, everything alive. You know, it hasn't rained for, what, two two weeks, maybe? Yeah. Two, two and a half weeks? Right. It hasn't been long. This morning, I went out. I said to Hidico yesterday, please remind me tomorrow I've got to water the potted plants. i got some plants that I grow, and then we plant them the next year, the coconuts that have come down. i got coconuts that came down, they've sprouted, and so I've got them in pots. And I don't want to put them in the ground, because if we have a freeze, they will die at that small size. And so I've got them in pots. And... I said, please don't let me forget to water the plants. And so I went out and I watered them today. This is after just a couple of weeks of no rain. I watered one of the other pots that was over here, not the coconuts. And I walked away to get more water because when you water something, it runs right through the first time. You got to water it after about five minutes and it'll soak it up the second time. I walked over there and there were lizards all around the pot drinking the water that had gone through the pot and were sitting in the leaves. They they hadn't had water in just two weeks, and they were all, it was unbelievable to see. And so, you know, they know their creator. They know that the water comes from him, and I know in their little minds, and I'm not saying me, I'm saying that God is the creator of water, and they were thinking, the Lord gave us water. They didn't know that some guy went over there and watered everything a minute ago, okay? But uh, we are ungrateful, and we should not be, because everything the Lord gives us is a blessing, and He we deserve absolutely nothing, and yet He continues to give us thanks. So it is so easy to ask for blessings, but we then fail in being grateful for those things we receive. Instead of this, we need to continuously be thankful for what we have, and pour out our hearts concerning those things we lack. And our thanks are to be, as Paul says, his words, to God the Father. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is a strong emphasis here in both expressions. God the Father is the fount of all blessing, and He is rightfully exalted through the thanks that we return to Him. But each of these thanks is to be given, as Paul says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is Christ who makes the path back to God the Father for us. The ingratitude mentioned in Romans 1 is an ingratitude which is directed towards, Paul's words, his eternal power and Godhead. In order to be truly grateful for those things that we enjoy, we are to be thankful to God through the one who caused these things to come into existence and who continues to sustain them even now. This is Jesus Christ that is seen explicitly in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and The word was God, through him all things were made, and nothing was made that has been made. And then Hebrews 1, 3, it says that all things are being sustained by him, by the power of his word. Further, in Jesus Christ, we are brought into sonship with God the Father. Therefore, he is to be the one named in all of our thanks and praises to him. This sentiment is again found in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, 317, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's all right there. A portion of it is expanded also upon in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 through 18, which are great verses. 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. The shortest verse in the Bible. Pantote charete is rejoice always. And then verse 17, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Wonderful words from Paul. Just marvelous how he weaves everything together. Everything fits perfectly. Nothing contradicts us. Talking about contradictions.
0: Philippians 4, 6, and
1: 7. What?
0: Philippians 4. Philippians
1: 4, 6, and 7. Colossians 3, um, 17, 17, thank you. Philippians 4, what? 6 and and 7. Be anxious for nothing. I have to tell people that all the time, and when I do, I'm always saying it to myself as well. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Okay, we have to keep reminding ourselves of these things because this is a really troubled world, but the last thing I said there was, um, where was that, Um, uh, oh, I was talking about contradictions, and two days ago, I think it was, might have been three days ago, I was sitting as I do, finished everything up about 6.15, I Turn on the TV always to watch something while Hediko's cooking. I try to pick really short little, vi- little little videos, like five minutes long in case she gets done. I don't want to have to have her watch. That will watch something she wants to watch. But there was something that was on that was about 19 minutes long, and it was I'd never seen this guy before, and he was going to talk about um, the Bible. I can't remember the subject of it, but anyway, he's... And I was fuming after six minutes. He's, he's there, and he's, he's like a professor in some college. He's a Hebrew something professor. And this is like a meeting outside with this canopy, and there's all these people all dressed up, and they're there to hear. I don't know what they expected to hear, but he's talking about the Bible and how the Bible is used as a symbol of authority. Okay, and he says that in America, he gave the numbers, very high rate of people that believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. He says, but none of them know what it says. Okay, and which is true. I won't, you know, I was agreeing with him when he was right. Most people will say, they'll hold this up as authority and say, the Bible says. And so it becomes our authority for the guidance of our life, is what he was saying. And he was, he went through some very good points about how our attitudes are about the Bible. And then he went through and he said, But most people have no idea what this word says. And he's went through a statistic on creation. And he said, you know, most people believe in a literal creation, which is true. If you believe the Bible, you believe. And then he broke it down. And he started to he says, I'm just gonna read you some verses and I'm not gonna give you any comment on them. I'm just gonna let you uh make an evaluation of it. And he went through the Genesis account, Genesis one, 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 two, one, three, you know, and he just read some of the things on then he said, on day five he did this, and on day six he created man, and so that's the the creation story. And then he he says, I, you know, I'm I'm going to give you this evaluation. I'm not going to give you any opinion. And what he did, he didn't give his opinion. Instead, he belittled the Bible, mocking it without really saying anything. And by the time he was done, the people were laughing at the Word of God, and I was I was fuming. He says, now we're going to go to Genesis 2. Everybody knows a Genesis story. And he says, you know, you've heard the Genesis 2 story. And it says this, this, and this. And you know these things. He says, everybody knows those things. But then he started to call into question. I'll read you what he said. This is his point here. He says, Genesis 1 says that God created, right? And he says, um, in Genesis 2, then you start having contradictions from what it says in Genesis 1. And I said, I know where this guy is going. And by minute six, I was so angry. I He's going through it, and he says, um, the seventh day, that's the day of rest. And he started reading that. See, it says David. And then he gets to verse four, and he says, this is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And then he's talking, he goes down there, and he says, in the day, and he's talking about man being created. And he says, well, which day did he do that? And he starts saying, see, day one, he did this, and day two, he did this, and day... But you can't have this without and he's calling everything into question without actually doing it directly. And the people are all sitting there and smug at how much this guy knows that God doesn't know. And you know, it's such an easy argument if you read the word and if you think on the word and you don't let people tear your your understanding of the word apart because you have the knowledge of what the Word says, you won't be like those people that suddenly had everything that they may have believed torn out from under them. Okay, I'm going to tell you, this is how the Bible works. The Bible gives you an explanation of something. I don't care what it is, an explanation of creation on day one. And then what it does is it gives filler information from the next account. The filler information is Genesis chapter 2 of what occurred on the sixth day. But by saying it the way he did, in the day, and he says, but this is a day, this is a day, this is a day. Well, how can it be possible that this is going to occur on this day and not on this day? He's calling everything into question. The term in the day does not mean a one day. Okay? We're going to see that next week. Is it? Yes, next week. Genesis. Let me read you Deuteronomy 27. Let me take you there. Next week, I'm sure it's going to be Deuteronomy 27. And here's what it says in Deuteronomy. And I'll give you some other examples so you know, but let me see if I can find this. Um, Deuteronomy 27, um, uh, whitewash. Okay, yes, it's going to be this one, and it's going to say, um, I'm just going to start with verse one and we'll find it eventually. Now Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, keep all the commandment which I command you today. And it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan. Okay? Okay. It's the same expression in Genesis 2, 4 that's here. They said in the day there and on the day here. It's the same expression in the Hebrew. Okay. It shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which Lord your God has giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones. You shall whitewash them. You shall do all these things. Did they do that on the day they crossed the Jordan, Burke? That big altar in Shechem or wherever it was, um, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim? They didn't do that on the day that they went over they did it a long time later the term in the day expresses a time frame but the people sitting in that thing where this guy was talking didn't know that and he's implying that that's all it means is in the day one day okay in the bible it will say the day of the lord what is the day of the lord is it a single day it's an entire epic sometimes sometimes it's a period of 7 years sometimes it's when Babylon comes down and fights against Israel. The day of the Lord is an expression. It doesn't mean that it happened on one day. But these people, not knowing that, now have their hearts that may have been directed towards the word all of a sudden torn away from them. And it's very unfortunate that people will do that. They'll sneak in. It's, I was thinking well, while he was saying the things that he was seeing, saying, I was thinking of what Peter says or Paul. They both kind of alluded to the same thing where people will creep in. Into the congregation and they'll and introduce destructive heresies, and he was so smug about it, like I'm so smart, I know how the Bible works, and it's a book full of contradictions and errors. there are no errors in this Bible. if you are willing to think it through and to study it, okay, let me ask you something: Does the book of Ruth come after or before the book of judges after the book of Ruth is the eighth book of the Bible. Judges is the Seventh book of the Bible. Okay, Joshua is six. Okay, then Judges and then Ruth. Okay, so you have the book of Judges and then you have Ruth. Ruth does not come after the book of Judges except in chronology, as far as your Bible is concerned. I'm talking about um, insertion of books. It comes in the middle of the book of Judges. Everybody understand that? The book of Ruth begins with in the, let's read it just so you can see this. Okay. But just this is what there's Ruth, I'm sorry, there's judges, and it says in Ruth four one, I'm sorry, one one. now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled, so yes, it comes after the book of judges, but it belongs in the book of judges. Genesis chapter two belongs in the sixth day. It's not a single day that he's trying to harm your theology about. it's in the day that God created the heavens and the earth and these things. Be careful when you listen to people, because there are people out there that will have such convincing arguments that you, if you don't know the word, you say, oh, if something like that ever happens to you, and you say, I don't know the answer to that, find out from somebody that does. There are plenty of people out there that you can email, that you can write to, that you can find out the truth of that. There are no contradictions in this word. There is zero contradictions in this world. What
0: that guy did was he played to the premise that he said it's true. Is that most people don't know what's in their Bible. That's right. So you can make it sound you can make make it close sound, to the truth, but kind of not. Kind of you know, not. Go. Yeah, and the
1: problem with that is by him setting that up in advance and saying most people don't know their Bible and then saying what he said, he's implying that he knows his Bible. Right. And he's an authority on that subject. And that guy is an authority on nothing but arrogance. I, I kept thinking, man, I would not want to be this guy when he goes to meet his creator. Yeah. The way that he was belittling the Bible and the way that the people were laughing. I didn't finish it. So for all I know, at the end he said, Well, I want you to know I'm gonna correct everything that I just told you, and you may be the best guy in the world. I don't think so, and I couldn't take anymore. I was so angry at the way he was handling this precious word. I, I was just beside myself with anger.
0: Was he grumpy that night when he came to the table for dinner?
1: No, I wouldn't do that to her. I wouldn't. But I was I was just fuming in myself at what had happened. I got to tell you, that kind of stuff goes nowhere with me. So, always be sure to know that if you find something that is complicated in the word, something you don't understand, and it seems contradictory, or it seems not right, check with somebody. There is an answer, and I guarantee one of the best sites, one of the best sites, and I hate to recommend sites, because as soon as I do, then somebody says, oh, you know, they said this in this commentary, and I'm like, oh, I sent them to some... But I have yet to find a commentary on this site that I say I disagree with that. And I don't go often. There's sometimes I'll go there if somebody needs an answer and I don't have time to sit and think it through or to do my own study. I will go there and see if what they have to say is logical. And it usually is. It's called Got Questions. Anybody here gone to that site? Got Questions. That's what it's called. They're very, very good in answering questions. You know, you type in something like, why does it say that the robot Jesus is purple in this account and scarlet in that account? And they'll give you an answer. And they'll tell you why it's not a contradiction. I don't care what you come up with. If you're not sure, go to Got Questions and check it out. But once again, I'm not recommending that everything they say is correct. So if you get something bad there, I apologize in advance. I don't want to ever send somebody to a a website That has bad information. But so far, in the times that I've gone there, I have not seen anything that I've said. That is suspect. Okay. They've had a couple issues that I thought were doctrinally not in agreement with me, but I wouldn't call them wrong at all. It's like reading Charles Ellicott and then reading Albert Barnes. Okay. They're both giving their opinion. They're both very good scholars. Charles Ellicott, I'll agree with him and I'll disagree with Barnes, but I won't say that Albert Barnes is. Somehow a heretic or something he's just misanalyzed this particular thing. I have seen that, and I will admit that, but I have not seen something I would say that is just plain wrong. don't listen to these people, so go to God questions if you've got an answer and if you've got a question about God questions, email me. I'll let you know and you know i mean we'll we'll work it out together and the good thing about you know the best thing about writing these commentaries is
0: you have something to send people
1: I don't even have to answer them anymore if somebody asks me about Ephesians five twenty one I don't even bother giving an answer. I just cut and paste my my five twenty one commentary. It's great. The more you've written a Bible commentary, the less
0: work you got to do in the future. You did that with me when I went oh I that's I, right I needed to find out about um. Uh, when Jesus was yeah. actually born. That's you said, right. You said the sermon. Oh, here, here. That's
1: for you. Yeah, I've already done that. I don't need to do it again. And I'm not going to spend my time. That's right. Thank you. I forgot well, all that. Thank you. That was the same yeah. meal. Hey, uh, you know that was not intentional. On Sunday, he asked me a question, and I just started rambling. And
0: right. Well, I, no, no, no. I I prompted that because I wrote oh. down really. Uh, Christmas oh, carols. that's what. And then, going, what's wrong with you? Are you retarded or something?
1: That's no, what it was. What
0: was I started
1: talking to a couple people in the front <laughs> row about what he was going to open the church with. So I said, you know, I, just, I didn't know okay. what he was opening the church with, other than a general thought. And he's like, "Well, I don't have to do that now. You've already told everybody." It wasn't intentional, and plus, there's people online, and people are still coming in. But I apologize. That that's that okay. was not intentional. Okay, five twenty-one. We got to go on.
0: Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ.
1: Okay, this one says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Okay, so a little different there. Okay, let's see here. Verse 521. This verse continues to explain what the will of the Lord is from. Hey, look at this. Look at this. How are we doing there, Chief? Yeah. <laughs> Looks like we got some pizza to eat before we all leave today. How are you doing there? How are you? All right. I missed <laughs> you today. She said you were out playing around or something. I no, I know. She said you were getting stuff for the store, but yeah, yeah good. Worry. Well, thank you for this. Just
0: leave it here?
1: Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. That's That's wonderful. Yeah, Just so you up. know, this is a celebration yesterday. The 13th of October, yesterday, was our eighth year anniversary in this building. Awesome. And I said, today we're going to have some pizza. So awesome. Good deal. Happy you you get to uh, you get to uh, bless us on our eighth anniversary. Happy
0: anniversary. All right, there I'll you bless go. Everyone. All right, a have a wonderful evening. Thank Be you, blessed. Say care. hi to Wah.
1: Right. Good deal. Okay, we'll start that again. This verse continues to what's that? Oh no, it will be. Doesn't it? That's good. All right. Well we'll we'll finish one verse and then we'll this might be a short one if it's it, a is short... A short one. it is. We'll do two more verses and then we'll finish. Okay. This verse continues to explain what the will of the Lord is from verse 16. It is an admonishment which is grammatically tied into that thought, and yet it also is a lead-in to what will next be exhorted concerning the duties of wives husbands, children and slaves. Those exhortations are given to show what submitting to one another in the fear of God, Paul's words, submitting to one another in the fear of God means. But just from these words, we can deduce that submitting or humbling ourselves before others is what is expected. Pride puts up walls between people and God and between people and people. However, Humility leaves open a way for people to meet the needs of others. It is not demanding and it shows no arrogance. This is what we should do when interacting with others. I can't tell you, you know, one of the best things in, I've ever done in my life, bar none, probably in the top three things I've done after marrying my wife and maybe one other thing, is leaving Facebook. I got to tell you, pride steps in. You're there on Facebook, you're at the end of a keyboard. They don't know you. You don't know them. You're just friends on Facebook. And you start arguing with somebody over something that isn't important. Okay. And pride steps in and everything goes downhill from there. Okay. I'm so glad to be off of social media. I'm just so happy. Uh, and it, the same happens all the time in churches, it happens in chats, on, you know, blogs and all kinds of stuff. People have pride in them. It's, it's our makeup. OK, and when we let that pride come forth instead of humility, it will always damage whatever is going on between people. It will always do that. So it's one of the things that we need. Humility leaves open a way for people to meet the needs of others. It is not demanding and it shows no arrogance. This is what we should do when interacting with others. We should not let pride step in. And, you know, I'm right about this and I'm, I'm going to sink the ship over it. We shouldn't do that, okay? State the peace and move on. If somebody wants to disagree with you, they can be as wrong as they want. Just let them do it. As noted, Paul's specific examples are forthcoming, but it is not to be limited only to those he explains. We should have an attitude of submission to all those around us in order to bring down walls of animosity and strife. And this is to be done, as Paul says, in the fear of God, Christ Jesus came in the most Humble circumstances of all. From his birth in a manger to his death on the cross, he demonstrated the humility which all of us should likewise demonstrate. And yet, we need to remember that Jesus never, never let doctrine falter, nor did he flee in a cowardly manner from his enemies or the enemies of God. This is to be a balance in our lives where we demonstrate humility on one hand and a firm resolve on the other. In all ways, he did exactly as his father expected, and we are to do so as well. Let us never allow the forces of moral perversion or enmity with God assume that they can use us as punching bags without facing rebuke and correction. And that means in the church especially. Outside of the church, these people are just going to continue to do what they're going to do. In the church, I'm telling you, it is. I can't believe the things that I read getting ready for the Sunday and the Wednesday reports that I see people doing in churches. People ordaining people that are so unordainable in any any aspect of normal Christianity, and they're, they're doing it, and they're promoting things in the church that shouldn't even be spoken in the most immoral society ever in the history of humanity. That is unbelievable, and we are not to allow that to be introduced into our lives in any way, shape, or form. So we have to have a balance. We need to do things in humility, but we are never to allow those things to overtake us or to assume that we condone them because of our silence, okay? Evil must be addressed or we are not demonstrating all the Christ-like attributes that we should. If something is evil and we don't address it, then we are condoning it, okay? Depending on the circumstance. I'm talking about if we're in a, a circumstance where we can address it and we don't, and we have implicitly condoned that before those people. Life application. When we are, when we interact with the world, we are to demonstrate humility, submitting to others as Christ would, and yet we are also to be firm, fixed, and resolved in our attitude towards the wickedness which surrounds us. Let us never give an inch on our firm stand to uphold God's word. This is it. This is what we have until Christ returns again. This is our authoritative marching orders. And we are never to give an inch, not an inch. Let's see, do we have time? Yes. Okay, we're going to do 520. We are? So yeah. We're going
0: to put the women in a bad light and
1: then... Okay, that sounds good to me. <laughs> I know,
0: right. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord.
1: It's word for word. I'm not even going to worry about it. Okay, admonitions for wives which are very similar to this one. Oh, before I go on, because I don't want to forget this, and we're saying a prayer, is Philip Kaufman sent us some money for the pizza. He sent it a while ago, but because Graham gave us some money for it from Scotland. And okay, I don't want to forget that. So thank Philip Kaufman when we have our prayer at the end. Remind me to do that. Okay, Um, let's see here. Where was I? Uh, uh, Admonitions for wives, which are very similar to this one, are found in Colossians 3, Titus 2, and 1 Peter chapter 3. Other, much more carefully worded restrictions upon women are noted throughout Paul's writings as well. For modern times, women who believe it's okay to preach or teach or have authority over men will simply disregard those prescriptions or twist them out of their intended context in order to justify what is explicitly forbidden. Explicitly forbidden. Now, I'll give you an example. One time I was at home, this is years ago, and I was watching TV, and there's this lady, her husband was the pastor of the church, and he kicked off. And this lady knew Greek. She knew it perfectly. And she could write it on the wall and say, this word means this, and here we're going to cross this. And I thought, it doesn't matter how much you know, if you're disobedient to the word, then what you have to say isn't worth anything. Because she's standing there in the pulpit, teaching the people about the Greek language and how it tells this and that from the Bible, and she's being disobedient to the Word of God. It doesn't matter. You know, people it, people will know Greek perfectly. They will know Hebrew perfectly, and that does not mean that they are qualified as teachers or preachers. Okay, just because somebody knows something does not mean that they're rightly applying it. As I've said a million times, you've got Cambridge. They were trained in Hebrew and Greek, and yet I read their commentaries quite often to refute What they are saying, because there are commentaries that give a lot of good mechanical information about the Bible, and then they go and they say things about theology, which is completely inappropriate. Just because somebody knows something as far as a language does not mean that they are handling the Word of God right. I've seen preachers that don't know a word of Greek or Hebrew that preach the Word properly. Okay? So don't let people fool you. Just because they're a Jew doesn't mean they're a specialist on things of theology. Okay, you've got to be really careful. That's called a source fallacy. Source fallacy means that I'm going to accept this as authoritative because of the source. Bad place to be. Okay, so um, uh, preacher, teacher, have authority over men will simply disregard those prescriptions or twist them out of their intended context in order to justify what is explicitly forbidden. They will also take descriptive verses from the Old Testament, a dispensation which is ended, by the way, or from the book of Acts, and completely take them out of context in order to justify that which is forbidden. Once again, the book of Acts is a descriptive account. It doesn't prescribe anything. I mean, there's almost zero in the book of Acts that prescribes something for us to do. Outside of Acts 1, where Jesus told the disciples to go get to work and to not worry about those things, I can't think of anything that is prescriptive that continues to be prescriptive without any changes. And I say that, Acts 15 gives certain prescriptions for the early Gentiles. But then what does Paul do later? In his writings, he qualifies what that means. He tells the Gentiles how to conduct their lives. So the epistles are prescriptive. They were given certain mandates in Acts 15 until the word of God was written. Okay, but for the most part, Acts doesn't prescribe anything. Okay, the one verse from Paul, which they hold up as relevant in allowing women to teach, Galatians 3.28 is again torn out of its intended context. Paul's words there show that there is no spiritual difference in men or women, just as there is none between Jew and Gentile or slave and free man. Let me read it to you. Galatians 3.28. Okay, and I've heard this cited so many times ad nauseum by people trying to justify women being preachers that it's incredible that they don't just simply think through what Paul is saying. Um, it says there, are 328, I was in 38, okay, 328, it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The simplest question to ask in the world is to walk into a church and say, are there any women here? I can identify every single woman in this church right now. So obviously Paul is not saying that there are not women and men. He's saying that they are one in Christ, positionally, spiritually, we are all in the same but there are women and there are men. And so when Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man, he's obviously saying that there are women and they have something they are not to do, okay? Galatians 3.28 is possibly the worst possible verse on the planet to use to justify what they are trying to do. It is not appropriate, okay? Paul's words there show that there is no spiritual difference in men or women, just as there is none between Jew and Gentile or slave and free man. But the fact that Paul mentions the categories is intended to show that the physical uh, differences still exist. There are men, there are women, there are Jews, there are Gentiles. The church hasn't replaced Israel, obviously, from that one verse you can tell that. There are Jews and there are Gentiles. There is Israel and there is all other, okay? Slaves remained slaves in Rome. Jews remain Jews even when coming to Christ. And women do not become men when they become Christians. However, there is no spiritual subordination in these categories and no lesser salvation for any of them. You are saved in the same way that I am saved. That's how it works. Understanding this in proper context, wives are, as Paul says, to submit to their husbands. A hierarchy is set within the family unit. The man is the head of the household, and the woman is to defer to the man's decisions. It is inappropriate and against the natural order of things, which was established at the very, very beginning, which is recorded in Genesis chapter 2, for women to have the lead role in family matters. God has ordained it this way. Families and societies which do not follow this model, as we're learning very quickly in America, will inevitably be dysfunctional in regards to proper biblical standards. Things were fine in this country until they came and destroyed the nuclear family, and everything is no longer fine in America. Albert Barnes rightly identifies four areas which the woman is to submit to the man. One, in domestic arrangements. Thank God for my wife. She is a very good domestic arranger. In regard to, this is two, in regard to the laws which are to regulate the family. The man can ask the wife, but in the end, the decision must remain his. In business matters is number three. And four, in everything except that which relates to conscience and religion. That's Albert Barnes. The last category is intended as being in conscience according to God's word and in religion according to what God has ordained. A woman is not to follow her husband if he is in violation of either of these two precepts. In other words, the husband is supposed to make the decisions. He makes the decisions, and it is an ungodly one, then she should not follow him in that ungodly decision. There are certain subordinations, but God always takes first priority. Always. Okay, Uh, let's see here. In all other ways, they are to submit, as is indicated here and elsewhere in scripture. And further, women are told to submit to their husband, as Paul says, as to the Lord. This is explained in the next verse. Simply put, it is because the Lord requires it, the Bible directs it, and the Spirit, who breathed out Scripture, testifies to it. To not follow this standard is to be disobedient to the Lord. Life application. Modern society fights against the words of this verse. Women are told that the Bible is archaic and even inappropriate, but God says otherwise. He has ordained all things according to his wisdom. To reject what is stated here is not less detrimental to right living than being a homosexual or a drunkard. That's just the way it is. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to meet in your presence. We thank you for your precious word. I pray that what has been said here today is appropriate, that we handled your word properly. And Lord, we want to thank you for Philip, who has provided some pizza for us, and we're very thankful for that, and we're also very thankful that you have provided this building for us, and that we've been able to continue here for these eight years. Lord, it's so nice to be off of the beach and in a place without rain falling on our heads or crows dive-bombing us, but we love you, Lord. We thank you for the chance to, to be here, and we just pray that uh, we will be able to continue to do so until you call us home, be through death or through the rapture. We love you. We praise you. We exalt you, and we do so in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Turn this off here. Say goodbye to the folks. Hey, we're going to go break.